We need it? <laughs> well, well, here it is. Here it is. We desire it, right? We desire to hear from the Lord. You know, I just count it a privilege and an honor to be used by, by God to bring his word. Uh, it, it is very humbling and very scary at the same time because, uh, well, you know, as uh, the book of Hebrews tells us, that uh, you need to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You know, so uh, I, I'm going to have to give an account one day. And uh, I'm going to say that he's going to ask me, well, you know, well, what happened there, man? What happened to... Uh, what happened to so-and-so? I said, well, you know, so-and-so is such a hardhead. I didn't want to give any names out because <laughs> when he gets here, I'm going to deal with him. But what about, you know, the other so-and-so? And, you know, fulano de tal is what they call it. You know, they were just always got, yeah, well, when they get here, I'll deal with them. But what about you? You know, beloved, it is just an honor and a privilege to be able to, to share the word of God. But it's also humbling and terrifying at the same time. And I want to explain that to you here in just a little bit. Because from the very beginning of uh, your Christian walk, you know that it's all by God. Amen? It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by what you do. And, and so what Paul is going to share with us today when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's that fear and trembling of of. Uh, as I just mentioned, it's, it's, an, it's an honor and it's humbling. But at the same time, it's downright, you know, you, you have to understand that as your pastor and as your uh, participation as well, each one of us is going to have to give an account. Amen. And when, when Paul is talking to the people in Philippi, he, what he's sharing with them, he says, okay, I've already talked to you guys about the example of Christ and how he, you know, stepped down from eternity, how he stepped down from where he was being praised and worshipped by the angels, by the redeemed that were already there, by those in paradise. And he's already receiving all the accolades, has everything that he needs. He stepped down to be a human, took that part away from him, stepped down to be a bondservant, took that other part away from him as being a leader, to step down into death, but step down even further to the cross. And we talked about the cross and how that, that was one of the most ugliest forms of, uh, of execution. He, he could have been executed by stoning. That's the traditional way the Jews would execute their, uh, those that were blaspheming or whatever the case may be. There were many different ways that uh, could have happened to him. As a matter of fact, I was reminded this last week, because I've been talking to you guys about the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah ties into the gospel message. And I was reminded this last week that Isaiah, as the prophet of God that wrote the big portion of the Old Testament in Isaiah... He was sawn, a tradition has it, says that he was sawn in two by one of the kings that did not like what he was saying. Now, in Hebrews, we find out that there were a lot of people that weren't worthy of this world. They, were, they lived in caves. They were destitute. They were sawed in two, fed to lions. And that is probably a, an indication or a picture of Isaiah. They killed all the prophets. And so being a spokesman of God and being able to proclaim God, it doesn't give you the things that you, most people think that it should. As a matter of fact, it, it brings persecution, it brings discouragement, it brings uh, depression, it brings all kinds of different things in a person's life, in a preacher's life. And, and it, it is not this glorified position that everything comes to the pastor. As a matter of fact, the pastor, as Jesus Christ did, must be a bond servant before he can be anything else. That was Jesus' example, that was Paul's example, that was Peter's example. And that's the example of the church that has always been. So Paul breaks it down. He says, I want you guys to have the same mind among yourselves. 
And then, and then he goes on to say, therefore God, in verse 9, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Amen, Amen right? Which, which is that name? The name Jesus Christ our Lord. That at, every, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. He's Lord. Yeah. I don't make him Lord. You can't make him Lord of your life. He's already Lord of your life. He's Lord of the whole world. As a matter of fact, the Bible says here, when we talked about this last week, and being found in you, in verse 9, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow yeah. in heaven, yeah. on earth, yeah. and under the earth. Yeah. Every knee. Yes, even the demonic forces will have to, they'll, they'll have yeah. to bow. They don't want to bow right now. Everybody living on this planet will bow. They're going to say that, wow, we, we were wrong. <laughs> Whoops, can I do an overs? No, you cannot. The message has been proclaimed to you. The message has been shared with you. The word of God has been in existence from the very beginning. God has been looking out, loving all of creation. He desires, as Peter says, that none should perish. You know, but the, the bottom line is that we know that the Bible already talks about that the road is wide to destruction. But the gate is narrow for those who are going to everlasting life. We already know that there's going to be a destructive pe uh, people. As we found out in Matthew chapter 7 last week, that many will come up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That many will come and bring some sort of a, uh, at least, you know, God, what about me? I, I did this, I did that, I prophesied, I healed, cast out demons. Come on, I did all that stuff in your name. Jesus is going to say, I, I don't know in what name you were doing it, but not in my name. Many. And so as we go forward from here, we, we come to a, a place, okay, so how is it that I'm supposed to exist and live and do and, 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 and operate while I'm a Christian in this church, in this world, on this planet? Well, the Bible shares with us various things about our salvation. And theologians have called it uh, three, the three phases of salvation. And I'll just, I'll just break it down very simply. It's salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. Now, I've shared this with you many times before. Salvation past is your justification. You are born again. You are justified. You are made right. That's when you are brought to life. Jesus Christ enters your heart through the Holy Spirit, and your body becomes a living temple for the Holy Spirit. And so now you are saved out of sin. You're saved out of sin. The, the salvation present is called sanctification. We've got justification. Sanctification is the process that you're going through right now. All the struggles, all the temptations, all the things that happen, God is using that to get rid of yourself. To get rid of the power of sin over your life. You've been saved from the slavery of sin. And now God is saving you from the power of sin. Doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. You know, there's those people that really believe that, okay, now I'm being sanctified. That means I'm set apart. Sanctified, by the way, comes from the word to sanctify or saint. And a saint is one that is set apart. Or holiness is one that is set apart. Yeah. Uh, somebody, something that is set apart. Yeah. We will not use this facility for uh, a youth bingo, a youth dance night, or a, or you know a women's or a men's bingo night. Okay? okay, we will not use this facility for that. If we ever do something like that, we have a facility over there. As a matter of fact, when we remodeled this place, we thought about putting chairs in here. It was a lot cheaper, half as much. 
for just chairs. And we could fit more chairs in here if we wanted to. But we stopped and we thought, this is, we already have a place where we can gather for that kind of dinner and all that other stuff. And then we built an outdoor so we can even gather out there if we wanted to. And so we have, we, we have decided, and we rightly so, what we did is we made this place a sanctuary. And we put the pews back in there, which is really cool the way we did this when we started getting the bids for the people to do the pews. And I shared the story with you already before. But when we, when we got the pews uh, put in, we, we called three different people, and they came out. One person was really high. Another person was, eh, okay. And uh, this third person was kind of in the middle. And we were already going with the lower bid already. I said, okay, this is probably who we're going to go with. And the guy shows up, and he says, okay, well, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how many chairs you need, and this is the color that I'm suggesting. I go, well, wait a minute. Have you been here already? You know, because I think I, I think I was the one that was overseeing that, uh, getting the bids. He says, no, no. He says, yes, I have. When? He says, oh, about 30, 40 years ago. And he pulls out the old paperwork and he says, I built these chairs. And I go, you got the job. <laughs> he says, I did these chairs. I know. And, and the way they were before, they were, I mean, he just did a marvelous job. Amen. It is beautiful the way he did the pews. But the purpose of that was to signify to people, showing them, showing us and, and recognizing God's holiness. And this place is set apart. It is sanctified. It is set apart for the worship of God. Okay? And, and so when you say that you are in sanctification, God has already set you apart. Okay, now what he wants to do is work the power. He's taking you out of sin, away from the world. And now he, what he has you in right now in this process is trying to break the power of sin over your life. And so you'll come across so a lot of discouragement. You'll come across a lot of things, but you got to submit yourself. We're going to talk about this. And you got to obey his children, and you got to do what is right. Amen. Because the word of God is your sword, is your food, is what believers need on a regular basis. Amen. Look at what he says here in verses 12 through 18. Yeah. And he goes on to say, therefore. And, and you know, I'm glad that I already gave you the therefore. <laughs> Because, you know, when it says, therefore, you need to find out, okay, what's that word, therefore? I've already given you the therefore. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Father in heaven, help us to have the sacrificial rejoice, rejoicing. Help us to be sacrificial rejoicers. Help us to see that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And how, what that means. And Lord, we know that we just can't sit here and let go and let God. We just can't stand here and just let it all happen to us. You have called us to work it out in our life. So I pray that today we can leave with a renewed, with new, renewed understanding of how it is sanctification works in our life, this process. Thank you, Father. I, I want to lift up to you, Richard and Eileen, right now, Lord, that aren't feeling well. Uh, I know, God, that you've already blessed them and, and you've already touched them and, and put your hand of healing upon them. Uh, and I want to pray for those that aren't able to make it today, for those that are generally here. I just pray you put your hand upon them. Amen. And, Lord, we know that you're working. And we Amen. know that. 
because we're confident of your word Amen. never coming back void. Amen. And so we want to be as consistent and as honest to your word as we can, Lord, without adding our own understanding or ideas and trying to get to the point of where Paul is at. So, Father, we do pray for, for those that we have in mind even now that, that are, are hurting and needing a divine touch from you. So, Lord, thank you once again for being so good, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen and amen. amen. Therefore, he says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. You know, Paul was very excited about the people in Philippi. The church was very obedient. Paul was very proud of them. He was writing a joyful letter. He was in prison. You know, he didn't have to write a scathing letter like he did to the people in Corinth. He didn't have to write a scathing letter like the people in Ephesus. Hey, somebody's here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here, Grandpa. Preach it. I'm here. He didn't have to write that letter to the people like he did in Galatia. In Galatia, and all his letters, he says, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. He always gives them an encouraging word. But to Galatia, he just went lit right into him. You know, I can't believe what you guys are doing. I can't understand. And he says, after the gospel message has been preached to you, and the gospel message is very, very dear to Paul's heart. And it should be to us as well. The genuine gospel message. The gospel message is not my testimony. The gospel message isn't the things that we do. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ died, buried, and resurrected for sinners just like you and I. And we, are, we were destined to be cast out for all eternity if it wasn't for the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. And so here, Paul is saying, now that you understand all these things, he says, beloved, obey. And they, and they did, and they were good at it. And, and, but he's continually having to remind us, as, as we have to be reminded as well. There's things that we know that we should do, and we don't do it. And, and, and what we need to be reminded is, is just obey. Just trust and obey, for there's no other way. Because when you don't trust and obey, guess what happens? Then God has to come in, okay, let's, let's work this sin out of him as well. Let's work this out of him, because this sanctification process just doesn't seem to be working with this guy. We need some more soap. Just wash him in down there. You know, let's clean this guy. No, it's still not working. You know, the, you've heard the story before. I've shared it many times before. But the silversmith, when they start to smith the silver, they put it in a, in a cup that they stick into the fire. And they look at it and they look at it. And all the dross and all the dirt and all the ugliness just floats to the top while the silver just lays there solid and, and liquid. It looks like a solid liquid. And, and the dross is just being burnt off and burnt off. And somebody once asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is ready? And he says, because when I can take a look at the silver and see my reflection, it is done. See what God is doing in your life. Some of you are still in the fire. When God says, nope, <laughs> not even close. Nope. Look at all that dross, all those years, everything that you've been doing. You know, and the silversmith, and this is why the Bible tells us that he re, he's a refiner in the refiner's fire. Because he's getting rid of all that stuff that we've been holding on to. And if you don't want to stay in the fire that much longer, just get rid of the stuff yourself. You've got the tool. You know. You know the sin that you have. You, you understand it. You can't say, well, I didn't know that. I, I, I fell. No, you didn't. You ran right to it. We have to get, Paul says, work, this salvation, work your salvation out. He says, you know, you do it when I'm there. And you guys are on your P's and Q's. You guys are very obedient. But even more now that I'm absent, you know, because Paul was hearing some words of people that were just that were bitter and they were backbiting. We'll talk about these two ladies here in just a bit as we get there to that point. 
But Paul is hearing that, you know, there's some things that are just going on. And he says, you know, just work it out. Yeah. Work it out. Yeah. Work it out. Yeah. You know, just kind of as, as, as you're washing and cleaning and, and whatever it is that you need to do, just work it out. Work it out. Yeah. And put some elbow grease on it to work out that your salvation. You see, when you work out your salvation, it's kind of like a bodybuilder. Okay? A bodybuilder doesn't work out his body to get another body. Okay? He doesn't work out his body to get a new body. He works out his body to, to uh, keep his old body healthy. Just like a farmer, he doesn't work his land to get more land. He works the land to produce fruit. When, God, when Paul says to work out your body, he's saying to work it out so that it can produce good fruit. You cannot produce good fruit unless you're plugged into Jesus Christ. In John chapter, uh, I think it was John chapter 6, Oh, I can't remember now. Please forgive me. Anyways, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. And what Jesus Christ is talking about there is is working this out, working this out in your life. And he goes on to say, uh, not now in, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I, I, I pretty much believe that you already understand what he means by fear and trembling. We are not needing to have to run away from God. We don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to think that God is going to zap us if we do something wrong. Unfortunately, that's how some people think of God. They think of God as, well, some people think of God as whatever it is, the person that you looked up to and how they treated you is you believe that that's how God is going to treat you. Most people have this idea of God kind of like it's their heavenly father, and it's kind of like their earthly father. If the earthly father was not around, then they're going to think, no, God's not around. If the earthly father didn't care, then they're going to think, you know, God doesn't care. If the earthly father was very spoiling, always giving the kids what they wanted, then, you know, they're going to think that God is the God that's supposed to give us everything that we want. And still people have that idea, that notion of, of who God is and that he's this magic genie. He has to answer my prayer and he has to do what I say. And he has to because, well, doesn't the Bible teach that? And that's part of the wrong doctrine that is being taught today. You can make God do what you want him to do. If you're faithful enough, if you're strong enough. But see, sanctification doesn't work that way. See, what God wants to do is take away the stuff that you're asking for. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said this in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Deny yourself. And a good picture of denying yourself is what Jesus Christ did. He says, foxes have hoes. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Birds of the air, they have nests. But, you know, I I don't have anything. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross was very significant even in Jesus' time before the crucifixion. Everybody knew what the cross meant. Yeah, I got to persecute myself? Yes. You got pers- to get rid of the dross, the ugliness. You see, so when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, fear and trembling is probably a, well, it is. It's a way of saying you do so in a way that you approach God with this awesomeness or this awe in your life, this, this fear of, of uh, offending God, a fear of, see, we don't have a fear of offending God. 
We, we think we believe and we've been taught that God is forgiving. He's all love. And, you know, you can thumb your nose at God, but, you know, he's he's loving and he's forgiving. He has to forgive. That's who he is. But see, God is also just. And when we come to him in that attitude, you don't have the fear and trembling. See, we have to recognize and realize that we don't. Once you're saved, you understand what you're saved from. You don't want to go back there. You want to stay away, and you, not saying that you, you won't ever or you'll stumble and fall, you will, but you get up and you ask God to forgive you. It's a life of repentance, always a life of repentance, and we're asking God to forgive us again and again and again. If we keep doing the same sin over and over again, then there's something not right there, but you fall here and you fall there. You get yourself back up and you work out your salvation. Another good picture is when James talks about how he says, you believe in God, well, you do well. You see, the demons even believe, and they shudder. And they're like, I, I don't know, okay, we know, we know what kind of power you have, God. And they do. Demons would fall down before him when Jesus Christ would arrive. And they have the sense of shuddering. They have the sense of bowing down. And us, eh, it's no big deal. God is, you know, he's, he's up there. Me and him are tight, and he's going to forgive my sin. I'm a work in progress. He knows this. And we make all these excuses. Paul says what you need to do is work that out with fear and trembling, not work for. What happens with some people, there's one of two, one of two ways. See, what, what God has put in you, he'll work through you. Okay, he'll work out. He gave it to you, and he's the one that's able to work it out in you. Some people believe that they have to do. They have to, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that to, for God to be pleased with me. I want you to know something, beloved. God can never be more pleased with you than he is right now. But I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner. That's even, that's, that's even better. Because God wants you to recognize that you're a wretched sinner. You know, but I'm just, I'm just worthless. You don't even know the things I've done. You know, God loves you right now. He doesn't love you anymore. doesn't love you any less. He's never going to love you more than he does right now. If he was willing to die, send his son to die on the cross before you were even born, before you committed any sin, what do you think? That God, he loves you now even more so that you've committed your life to him. And you're struggling and you're walking in faith and you're, and you're, you're being sanctified God loves his creation. He loves it so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And the Bible goes on to say a little bit later, if you believe, you have everlasting life. If you don't, you're cast to everlasting damnation. That's just all there is to that. God says that. Not every, and we know this, not everyone is going to turn to Jesus Christ at the beginning. But this fear, this fear and trembling that we have toward God is not being afraid of Him. It's just knowing and recognizing His power. I work on electricity every once in a while. And I have a a reverent fear for electricity. I don't know if you've ever worked with electricity. You know, you open up the plates and you go grab the... Okay, yeah, maybe maybe I should turn this off a little bit. Now I attack it very gently. You know, did you turn off the power? Yeah, the power's turned off. You sure? Okay. And, 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 you know, it just... You know, it stings, it hurts. Amen. It could kill you Amen. if you don't know this man. You have to have that type of reverent fear, reverent cautions, reverent adoration, or adoration, excuse me, toward God. 
The psalm, and this is all in the Old Testament. The psalmist, he says this in Psalms 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This fear, this understanding of God, of who he is and the power that he has and, and, the, uh, and the unwillingness to offend a holy God gives you wisdom. It does. As a matter of fact, you already know much of what you need to know. When you fear God, he gives you the wisdom how to implement that. He gives you the wisdom on how to implement, implement the knowledge that you already have. And what ends up happening is that we don't fear God and we don't have that reverent fear for God. And therefore, we operate on our own will and our own strength and in our own self. And God is saying, I want to work that in you. See, I gave it to you. Now I want to work it through you. And see, what happens is a lot of people receive what God has given them, and they do it on their own. And you can see the results of what happens. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge as well. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. Okay? You know, that's, you know this. It's a fruit, okay? I know that it's a fruit, but I'm not going to put it over here. Some people might. I don't know. The fear of the Lord. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Whoever hardens his heart to this wisdom, this yeah. inability to, to submit to this awesomeness of God yeah. and to offend His holy name. Yeah. And you know, beloved, when the... Um, the Ten Commandments were written, and when the fifth one that says, and thou shalt not, I'm sorry, the fourth one says, um, do, no, I'm sorry, the third one, do not use the name of the Lord God in vain. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. And when you, we talk about that, we always think about the, you know, the, the D word when we, we say that, and we think, well, you don't do that. But what they were, that word had never, nobody ever thought about using it in that way. By the way, at that time, they wouldn't even use the word God. They would just write G, you know, and they wouldn't write God or G and D yeah. and with the underline. So that they, they wouldn't even pronounce the names. As a matter of fact, they called him the name. Okay. That was his name, the name. They wouldn't even say Yahweh like we're allowed to now. They wouldn't even try to describe Jehovah. They would say the name because his name was so reverent and they feared his name. What that commandment was saying is, don't call yourself a follower of God and then live like the world. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and then live with all your friends doing everything that you do. Don't call yourself. That is using the Lord's name in vain. I mean, of course, you don't want to use the the cuss word either. You don't want to do that. Definitely not that. But the intention of it was your life that we have to work out our salvation, get rid of all that stuff. Number two, submit to God's work in me. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's verse 13. Ah, there it is. I knew I had that verse there. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that who bears fruit, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and what Jesus is saying there, he starts off from the very beginning in the New Testament, you can't do anything without me. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the fa- I can't do anything without the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. 
I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of the Father. As we mentioned last week, the last couple of weeks, Jesus came down as man. He humbled himself to be a bondservant. He humbled himself to death. He humbled himself to the cross. God elevated him, and now he is at the right hand of the Father. And, and so as we, as we look at this, we have to look at what Paul is saying to us. See, it is God that works in you, that works in you. And, and this word comes, this is where we get our word energy from. And, and energy, energeo, is the word that is used there in Greek. And, and that word is what basically saying it's God who's put the energy in you. He's given you the, the energy to move forward. As a matter of fact, he uses it twice. For it is God who works in you, gives you the energy both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He gives you that energy. He gives you that ability. He gives you that life. He gives you eternal life. He gives you the gifts. It all comes from him. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us about the spiritual gift. It is God himself. It is the Holy Spirit who decides which gifts you get. Paul says not everybody gets all the gifts. As a matter of fact, it's the Holy Spirit that gives them to you. And he gives them to you for the edification of the church, to build the church up. And so if God saves you, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then it is God who gives you the gifts. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives you uniquely for you. Then it is God who's going to work it through you. Stop trying to do it on your own. How many times have we gotten in trouble trying to do it on our own? And we wait for God and we look for God. Paul says, work this out. Work this out. He's given it to you. He's working it through you. Now you have to work it out. You see, it's this double thing, as I said earlier. Some people think that, okay, well, it's God going to do it for me. And I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to let go and let God. You know, if it's meant to be, it's up to God, you know. You know, he's going to have to do it. Uh, You know, let go and let God. Okay, that's. When you think about that through, it's basically what it is that what Paul is saying, but how some people use it. They say, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to wait here and wait for it to happen. But then there's that other group that says, no, no, no. If it's meant to be, then it's up to me. Then I got to make it happen. And I got to run ahead. And I got to do, you see, but it's, a, it's, a little, it's both, both and. It, it seems like a paradox. And I say it seems like because it's all God and it's all me. And it's all God that's given it to me, and I have to work it out. I have to put myself in those places where God can work that out. And it happens every single time. You know this. When you open yourself to God, when you say, okay, God, here I am, use me. Uh, Create these. Actually, those divine appointments are everywhere. Give me the sight to see what it is you want me to see. All of a sudden, the whole place becomes a mission field. I read an interesting quote this last week from John MacArthur. He says, Christians should not be political because the enemy becomes, the enemy that is supposed to be the mission field gets lost in the politics. Because now they are the enemy. When I become political and I, I, I have my stand, whether it's right or left, center, whatever it is, now the mission field is my enemy. Those that are my enemy should be the mission field. And I would rather see people, you know what, you don't believe in the way I do, then you know where you can go. There is an opportunity at every step if we just look at what God is working out through you. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say uh, in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his uh, work that he does in us. Okay, he is our workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. He created this beforehand. He knew who you were going to be. He had you chosen from the foundations of the world. He has your gift already set aside. You're born, you're reborn, you're gifted, boom. And you're already his workmanship. The word there is poema. The word there is poema. And the word poema is a work of art. Is just this masterpiece. You are already his masterpiece. He's created that in you, in Christ Jesus, for good works. Well, Pastor Salvage said we can't be saved by works. No, but you're saved to work. You're not saved by works, but you're saved to do the service and the job that the king has commanded you and commissioned you to do. He's commissioned us to go and make disciples. You know, one of the, one of uh, one of one of uh, Christians' disciples' favorite verse is Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. What many people forget or don't even realize is the previous verse, verse 17. And Jesus had just been crucified. He had just been buried. And now he's resurrected and he's getting ready to ascend the last Uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20 verses of Matthew before it ends. Verse 17 is omitted because Jesus is everywhere everywhere and people are seeing him. And then in verse 17, it says, some, and then Jesus came to them. uh, Okay, let me me back up a little bit. When they saw him, they believed him, but some didn't. When they saw him, they believed him, but some doubted. But some doubt it. You see, the way to share the gospel, the way to fulfill the Great Commission is to understand, number one, you got to see him first. You got to understand that you know Jesus Christ and and you've been saved. If that's been your if that's been your experience, if you have been saved, if you have been redeemed and regenerated, then all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. You have that authority and the power that he has given you to go into all the world and make disciples. A disciple is a believer. A disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is an apprentice. And a disciple is the same thing as a Christian. And a a disciple, you can have disciples of all kinds. But the authority that was given to Jesus has been handed to those that see him. The ones that doubt, they don't get it. They don't get it. I don't get it. We have to check ourselves. To make sure that we are in the faith. We talked about that last week. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all energy. There's that word again. That he powerfully works within me. Paul is working. Paul is toiling. Paul is just moving forward. And he's working as best he can with all that he has. Everything that he's been gifted with. All the knowledge that he's learned. All the training that he's brought up, that's been brought up. Everything that has been given to him. He's, used, he's got all these tools. Yet it's the power of of Christ that is working within him. We can do the same thing. You are so gifted in so many different ways. You have more information and knowledge than most of your friends around you. You have, with the Bible in your hand, with a few messages from here and some outlines, you have more information if you would just let God use you. That's it. You share with them. The bad news, you know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, a vibrant one, one that is showing, 
You can't just say, you, you know, you, you went to church. You can't just say you've been going to church all your life. You can't just say you were baptized. Many people are going to come out and say they go to church. They, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. He calls those iniquity workers, lawlessness. Because they had no clue as to who Jesus Christ was. They were doing it on their own accord. Number three, in the back of your outlines. We need to obey as God's children. Obey God as children. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, well, you know, that's why he calls us children. Okay, kids, stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Just do it. Just do it. How many times have we gotten the, the chancla or the wooden spoon or a knuckle sandwich or like we used to call it a knuckle taco? You know, how, how, would, how many times have you gotten a coscoron because you didn't do what your mom or dad said? Yeah, just do it. Same thing God's going to do. He's going to give you a knuckle taco. Bam. Okay, come on. Get back up. We've got to get you going in the right direction. That's it. Give you a coscoron in the head and, you know, wow, that hurt, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> well, you already know what you got to do. The power's already in you. Just do it. Just do it. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Man. We are children of God. Man. That right there should just give us some awe and wow. You know, I'm, I'm really, God's my father. I, I, I am his child. I, I can run to him whenever I fall and ask for forgiveness. You know, my grandson will be walking here pretty soon. And I pray, and I know they won't, but I pray that if he starts to take his first steps and he falls down, I pray that his parents don't go and start reprimanding him for falling down. Can't believe he fell down. You'll never walk in your life. That's not the way God does it. But we, we kind of, we think and we assume and we feel like, oh, I messed up. I might as well not even go back. I'm done. No, you're going to fall. Even as an old man, I tripped and fell today <laughs> you know here i am i i stepped on something that i shouldn't have out and i had my coffee and you know it's just it, it was i didn't see it yes god's not gonna say hey what, what are you stupid well, i kind of felt dumb a little bit we we trip and fall and we are his children look what look what uh, john says in john chapter one but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, this is a very important verse to know. Because many people, when they say, no, 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 you, you, whoever believes gets saved. Then John 3.16 say, well, you got to read the rest of it. You got to read chapter 1. You know, as a matter of fact, you got to read chapter 3, verse 1. That no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. You just can't choose to be born. you got to be born again. And right here, what John says that Jesus said, he says, But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, you're children of God not because of your tradition, because of who you're born, not because of your bloodline. Or not even because your will, you wanted to do this. You don't have the will to choose God. Man. You don't have the ability to. You're a sinner. We are sinners. And we are dead in our trespasses until the Holy Spirit wakes us up. Man. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Man can't get me saved. Man. I can't get you saved. Man. I can't give you the prayer to pray so you can get saved. Man. It's God. 
well, how do I know that God spoke to me? And how do I know that that's me? Well, a good indication is, number one, you're, you're here, not just in this church, but you're here in the presence of God, hearing his word, finding out what do I do next? You're, you're, you're in the word. You're, you're, you're doing what you can at home. You're reading his word. You're listening. You're, you're looking. Those are indications. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest indications is if you were to ask the question, am I really his child? That in itself indicates that there is something going inside of you because you recognize I, I, I can't be a child because man I'm such a wretch, and, but I, I want to be. And what's happening there is yet that, that holy tension. That holy tension. And, and it, what, what people do when you have that holy tension, you have that holy discontent. Oh, I hate it. Oh, I, I hate what happens. Uh, you know, have that holy discontent for the world, for things that, used to, that you used to like. And now they just, oh, man, I can't believe I used to do that. You know, it's kind of like a dog going back to its vomit. And then what you also have is you have this holy desire to do what God wants you to do. You have a holy discontent. And you have a holy desire. This discontent that, that, you, that you want to just get rid of, and, and it, it bums you out every time you go back to it. It just, oh, you know, I can't. Don't just stop there. Ask God for forgiveness, repent, and move forward. And move toward the holy desire. This is what Paul is talking about as far as your sanctification. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get rid of it. If, you, if you're genuinely saved, you hate the sin that you were in. You know, and some of you, may not have had the obvious sins like, well, like I had. You know, I, I was drinking drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things. I, I did the worst that you can imagine, you know, because that's the way I grew up. And so when, when I got saved, you know, when God just woke me up, it was evident. I didn't do those things anymore. But for other people, they grow up, you know, thinking that everything is good, we're right. And uh, there's this, uh, this pride, this arrogance, this, you know, gossiping, this jealousy, this, there's this, you know, you know, almost like if it don't matter, there's apathy. Okay, as long as I go and I participate in church, as long as I get baptized, I should be okay. And, you know, there's still this cheating or lying and, and deceit that goes on behind the scenes that nobody can see. You see, we're all sinners one way or the other. Whether, whether you're just lying or whether you're a fornicator, God sees that as a sin. And what we need to understand is that this holy discontent for what we used to do, that cannot be a part of your life anymore. Of course, you know, fornicating drugs and alcohol and all that other stuff. But also the, the jealousy, the rage, the anger, the, the, the pride, all those things. God hates pride. He opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud because that was Satan's sin. You know, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or at least I'm not as bad as that girl. You know, we, we say things like that. You know, at least, you know, at least I go to church once a week and I tithe and everything else. But that's Pride. I come not to show up and to show off. I come, Lord, I need your daily feeding. I come here as a sinner. And my response should always be, have mercy on me. Like the repentant tax collector. You had the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm a Pharisee and I've, got all, I've done everything. I tithe and I go to church and all these other things. And thank God I'm not like, like this guy. You know, this tax collector, you know, I'm not going to sit on my knees and cry and wail and forgive me. And, and all, the, all the tax collector can do is say, you know, Father, forgive me. Have mercy on me. That's the right response. That's the right response. As a matter of fact, when he told the parable, Jesus asked, which one of those two came out justified? Everybody says, well, the tax collector, of course. What about the Pharisee? 
Uh, he had too much pride, too much arrogance. Matthew 18, 20, he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Obey. When, when I am working out my salvation, I need to obey like, like a child. Well, I, you know, I, that's, that, that is a good illustration. Unfortunately, today's children are not as obedient as they used to be. The last point. Oh, I'm sorry. Fourth point. Point number four. Shine. Shine as lights in the world. Paul says, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that, the day, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says, just shine. Just be who you are. Do what you do. Just do what you profess you're doing. You know, if you're professing to be a child of God, then be a child of God. You got to be a light. Stop being so bummed out. Stop being so negative. Stop being so, uh, you know, distracted. Stop being so, whatever the case may be, you're a light. Man. Just a light. You got to be a light in, uh, in this world. As, well, he starts off by saying, without a blemish. You know, well, we've already been blemished, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he's wiped us clean. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, every time I read that, I say, man, we are there. We are there in this twisted and crooked generation. I'm, I'm watching people as I'm driving, you know, just running stop signs and running signal lights and, you know, cutting people off. I'm, you know, and that's just me. And uh, no, just kidding. And, and people are doing, you know, just the unimaginable nowadays, going up to people and just punching them or stabbing them or shooting them or, you know, it's just, it's unimaginable. And, and it's just so open to this twisted and crooked generation. People, you know, thieving and conniving and stealing and, you know, doing all kinds of wicked stuff to get over on people. You got telemarketers. Well, telemarketers are okay, but I'm talking about those that do these scams and Ponzi yeah. schemes and, you know, taking money from people. Just, you know, it just, I can just go on and on and on and on. This is a crooked and twisted generation. Amen. You need to be a light in all this. Amen. Can't participate in this. We have to be lights in this Crooked generation. Jesus told Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. See, you're not just to be a light so people can see how pretty you are, but you be a light so they can see what it is that you do as a believer, Amen. as what the Bible teaches. Amen. You forgive, you love, you encourage you stop the gossip, stop the bitterness, stop the depression. All, you, know, you, you, you just change your life. And, and then now the last point. He says, number five, live as a sacrificial rejoicer. I know that's not a word, rejoicer, but one who rejoices. How's that? If, if, for those of you that are wanting to be a little bit more uh, clear. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon, this, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. What Paul is saying here, he says, you know, I am trying to share with you something that is beyond uh, anything that you, you have ever experienced. God is just 
sharing with me his word. And, and you, know, you know what's going to happen here is, is I'm here in this prison. And I'm being poured out as a drink offering. If you understand the, the drink offering, the sacrifice that it took to give, you would, you would bring your sacrificial offering in and bring your drink offering and you would pour it at the altar as well. And the aroma that it would give to, the, to, to, uh, to God and he would just be pleased with it. And he's saying basically that you need to come to this altar. And Paul says, I'm coming to this altar. I'm giving my life. I'm doing everything I can for the benefit of you. And I'm doing this, and I'm doing this willingly. And I do it with joy. And I enjoy doing this. You know, he's not telling the people in Philippi. He's not telling them, the, the people in Philippi, so that they can feel sorry for him and feel bad for him. As a matter of fact, he says, no. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, I know your struggle. I understand the things that you must be going through. Amen. I mean, look at look what I go through. You know, I'm not bragging or boasting. I'm just letting you know. And you know my situation. Amen. You know, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm just glad that I'm able to share with you. Yeah. And I want you to share with somebody else. Okay. Yeah, but Paul, you don't understand. You know, our church is too small. Our church is too far. Our church is too hot. Our church is too cold. It's raining outside, Paul. Paul says, what was that? Oh, is that what that was? Scared me. <laughs> Someone was trying to get in the window. Uh, our church is too smelly. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, the pastor's too boring. The music's too loud. You know, it's just. Paul says, "You know, I look at look where I'm at. Look where I'm at. I'm in prison. I'm being poured out right now. You know, and who knows? Maybe, maybe might be executed. He didn't know, but that's exactly what happened. I might just be executed." And, and, you know, every time I go there, it's like the, the people are too cold. The people are not friendly. The people are over-friendly. You know, and we can come up with all kinds of excuses. And Paul says, you know what? Be a sacrificial rejoicer. Amen. Rejoice even though it, it seems like that you shouldn't be rejoicing. You know, praise God. Just praise God for every situation. You, you know, I, I will bless his name when the sun is shining on me. When everything should be as it should be. I will praise his name. Uh, you know, blessed be the name, uh, even when I'm walking through the wilderness and in the desert place. And when yeah. there's pain in the offering, I will still bless your name. Amen. Bless his name. Amen. You see, and what Paul is indicating here, what he's showing us, he says, you know, what you need to do is you need to persevere. Just keep going. Man. Keep on keeping on. Man. He says, rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And this is what Paul has been trying to get across from, from working out your salvation. There's a way to work out your salvation. There's an ability to work out your salvation. There's a, there's, you occupy yourself, number one. Did I give you that one? Occupy yourself with fear and trembling. Okay? That was number one. You, I just realized that. You occupy yourself with fear and trembling. As a matter of fact, oh, and I had a... Well, let me just say it now. The, word, the reason I used occupy... Is because in Spanish, that's what it's saying. You know, here he says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is something that you have to work out. But in Spanish, it's ocupados, you know, occupied. I mean, in a a sense, it's something that you do every day, all the time. 
you know, just like when you're occupied with your job and the things that you have your mind set on, the things that you have to do. If you're a landscaper, if you're a pipe fitter, if you're a welder, you have this, this information in your mind because you have to focus on this for the next eight to ten hours. And you're focusing, occupied in your mind as you go about your job doing what it is that you do. Paul says, be occupied and occupy yourself with fear and trembling. That's the attitude that we approach God with as you occupy. Number two, submit to God's work in me. I don't know if I gave you that one either. Okay, number two, submit to God's work in me. Number three, obey God as children. The back of your outlines. Number four, shine as lights in the world. And number five, live as a sacrificial rejoicer. Working out your salvation is a lot of work. It's painful. It is, but the benefits are out of this world. It's not something that just happens to you. Discipleship is something that you do. This sanctification process of cutting yourself away from the world and focusing on what God has given you, the gifts and the abilities, so that you can grow and go and make disciples. All of this is a part of God's design and plan. The problem is, is that we're waiting for something. I don't know what we're waiting for. God says, just do it. Just get out and do it. Don't worry about the mess that you'll make. This is the mess that you make or may make or may not make. The mess, whatever happens, he says, I got that. I want you to make a mess. I want you to, because I got that. Because once that happens, I got something else going on over here that you don't know what's going on. I've got that with you or with them or whatever the case may be. Just work it out. Work it out. Work it out. Because you know what? We're going to be here 60, 70, 80 years. Some of us, 100. We're going to be here a long time, so you might as well work it out. Be focused on that, on eternity. Because that is the plan that God has. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your word. Thank you, Lord, because we know that none of this that we do is on our own accord. Much of what we've done in the past has been on our own accord. We've done it because that's just the way it's always been done. Or we've done it because, well, we don't want to try anything new. Because we've never tried that before. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to look at, as we go into this next uh, half of the year, and we look at the, the report from this last year and, and see what the, just the potential that we have in this small group of people on what you can do when we just focus on you. It's not the size of our church. It's not the, the ingenuity or the intelligence of the pastor or the people here. It is the size of our God. And it is the size and, and the wisdom that you give when we submit ourselves to you. So thank you, Father. Help us to understand that there is nothing that you cannot do. That nothing is impossible. Nothing. And we know if we submit ourselves to you and we're set on fire, there's so much more that you can do. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you and to love you, to dive into your word as we leave this place working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Amen. Next time somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? I'm working out my, my salvation Amen. with fear and trembling. Amen. Really? What's that mean? All right, let me show you. All right, we're dismissed. Oh, I'm sorry, you can stand. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Yes. Mm. I'll be up here for a moment. Feeling like come up and have a word of prayer.